Evidence and Answers. Jesus and Muhammad are the founders of the two largest religions in the world. Both serve as the supreme example and their followers are exhorted to emulate their lives. How similar or how different are they in their lives, ministries, and teachings? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a national and international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat presents a comparative study on the lives of Jesus and Muhammad. I'm sure you will find this to be a fascinating study of the leaders of the two largest religions in the world today. Let's join Pat now for this informative study on Jesus and Muhammad. The confirmation of Islam rests upon its founder, Muhammad. His role in the religion cannot be understated. Muslims believe that Muhammad is the perfect example to follow in all aspects of life. The Quran states that, In Muhammad, ye have indeed an apostle of God, a beautiful pattern and excellent model of conduct. That's chapter 33 of the Quran. Chapter 4 of the Quran states that obedience to Muhammad's teaching is equivalent to obeying Allah. For example, chapter 4 of the Quran states that he who obeys the apostle obeys Allah. The greatest Muslim theologian of all time, Al-Ghazali, writing in the first millennia AD, in his classical work, Revival of Religious Sciences, explained, Know that the key to happiness is to follow the Sunnah, or Muhammad's actions, and to imitate the Messenger of God in all his coming and going, and to begin with the right foot when putting on shoes. In other words, Muslim men are called to copy Muhammad in every way, even the way they put on their turban, the way they dress, the way he treated women, and the way he treated unbelievers, even from the way you woke up in the morning and you put on your shoes, you're to copy Muhammad in every way. He is the perfect example. He's the sinless prophet. His role in Islam cannot be understated here. Muhammad is considered the final and the greatest of the prophets of God, according to chapter 33 of the Quran. So Islam is founded by a man who claims to be a prophet. But interestingly enough, when you match up his credentials with that of the qualities of a biblical prophet, they're lacking. You see, God confirms his message and his messengers with acts of God or miracles. And one of the reasons I think Muhammad's prophethood should be in question is that he doesn't have the miraculous confirmation as the biblical prophets and apostles have. Well, let's take a look in some areas. Here's some reasons why I think Muhammad's prophethood should be questioned. First, he claims to be a prophet of God, but he has no prophecies to his name. In the Quran, the holy book of Islam, in the Quran, Muhammad has no prophecies. Muhammad first does not fulfill any prophecies made of him, and he does not make any prophecies, yet he claims to be a prophet. Now, there are some alleged prophecies about the coming of Muhammad that many Muslims point to, but you look at the verses and the context, they're not pointing to Muhammad. One of the prophecies that Muslims often point to is the prophecy of the coming prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. It reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And this is Moses speaking here. And he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, many Muslim apologists point to Deuteronomy chapter 18 as a prophecy predicting the coming of Muhammad. 
But look at it in its context. Moses is speaking here to the people of Israel. And he says, I'll raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. Now that refers to the Jewish people, not to an Arab, unfortunately here. The term brethren there, or your brothers, is used to mean a fellow Jew in passages like Deuteronomy 17 and other passages in the Old Testament. You do a word study on that, it refers to a fellow Israeli or Jewish person. And we know that Jesus is the one that's being referred to here in this context. Now, another one that Muslim apologists will often point to is John chapter 14. John 14 verse 16 reads, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, many Muslim apologists point to this as another prophecy of the coming of Muhammad. But once again, you look at it in its proper context. Jesus is speaking here to the disciples, and he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This cannot refer to Muhammad. Of course, the context here is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 16, Now ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the coming of the Spirit here, he'll be with us forever. Muhammad was not with us forever. And so it cannot be referring to any mortal human being. Further in the passage, it says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Literally, he will dwell within the believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. So, of course, Jesus here, in this context, is clearly talking about the Holy Spirit and not the coming of Muhammad. So those two passages, which many Muslim apologists use, as referring to the coming of Muhammad in the Bible, in its proper context, cannot refer to Muhammad. Now, there are no prophecies in the Bible concerning the coming of Muhammad, and Muhammad made no prophecies in the Quran. Now, there are some alleged prophecies that Muslim apologists point to, but let's take a look at these very carefully. First, Muslims often point to the fact that Muhammad predicted military victory over the enemies of Islam. He writes in chapter 3 of the Quran, Say to those who reject the faith of Islam, Soon will be ye be vanquished and gathered together to hell, an evil bed indeed to lie on. Chapter 14 of the Quran, But their Lord inspired this message to them, Verily we shall cause the wrongdoers to perish, and verily we shall cause you to abide in the land and succeed them. And so here many Muslim apologists point to this and say, You see, Muhammad predicted... Islam would be victorious over their enemies. Well, this cannot be considered a prophecy on the level of biblical prophecy. I mean, what commander would not predict victory over their enemies? And also, well, what about his defeats? Why are they not predicted? Defeats like his second battle against the Meccan army at the Battle of Uhud. Why was that and other defeats not predicted? Now, another prophecy that's most often cited is in chapter 30 of the Quran which claimed that it predicted the victory of the Romans over the Persian army in 615 AD. Now, the context of chapter 30 of the Quran is that the Roman Empire had been defeated and pushed out of the city of Jerusalem. And then chapter 30, verses 2 through 4 of the Quran reads, The Roman Empire will soon be victorious within a few years. In other words, within a few years, the Roman army would recapture the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Muslim scholar 
the man who translated the most authoritative translation in English of the Quran is Abdullah Yusuf Ali, a tremendous scholar of the Quran. And he claims that a few years means a short period of time ranging from three to nine years. And that's according to Abdullah Yusuf Ali, who translated the Quran in English. Now, the period of time between when the Romans lost Jerusalem, 614 or 615 AD, and the victory over the Persians at Issus occurred in 622 AD, and that was seven years later. And this many Muslims point to as a prophecy of Muhammad in the Quran. Well, let's take a look at this carefully. The Romans were defeated and pushed out of Jerusalem in 614, 615 AD. Now, the Romans recaptured Jerusalem. That's what the prophecy refers to in 625 AD, 10 to 11 years later. Not the few or three to nine years as Muhammad spoke of. Second of all, this would not be prophecy on the level of the Bible. Just good observation, for one would expect the Romans to bounce back and recapture their lost territory. Now you compare that to the legacy of prophecy of Jesus. There are over a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament predicting the coming, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he fulfilled every one of them. For example, Daniel chapter 9 predicts when the Messiah would be crucified in Jerusalem. Figure out that prophecy, you know, the famous prophecy of the 77s. Mathematically lay that out and you get the exact day in which the Messiah is crucified in Jerusalem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells you the birthplace of the Messiah, Bethlehem. Isaiah 53. I mean, that prophecy alone, there are nearly a dozen prophecies made there, specific prophecies of the nature, the life, ministry, and even death and resurrection of the coming Messiah of Jesus, just in Isaiah 53 alone. And numerous other passages predict the lineage, the birth, the miraculous birth of the Messiah, and many aspects of his coming, his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. Over a hundred prophecies are made of Jesus in the Old Testament, and he fulfills each one. Jesus also made some prophecies of his own. For example, in John chapter 219, Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. After clearing out the temple, the religious leaders came to him and say, Who gives you such authority? What miraculous sign are you going to show us that demonstrates you have this authority? And Jesus said in chapter 2, verse 19 of the book of John, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of his death and resurrection. Once again, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus on several occasions predicted his death and his resurrection from the dead. In Matthew chapter 24, he predicts the fall of Jerusalem. In John chapter 21, he predicts the manner in which Peter would die. And so there are many prophecies made of Christ before his coming, and he fulfills each one. And Jesus also made several prophecies of his own, which have come to pass. Compare that to Muhammad. There are no prophecies made of his coming. And in the Quran, he does not make any prophecies either. Now, Muslim apologists often point to the Hadith and say, well, there are prophecies made that Muhammad made in the Hadith. Well, remember, the Hadith is a record of the sayings of Muhammad which are written about 200 years after the life of Muhammad. 
And so when they bring that up, I need to point them right back to the Quran and say, which one is the inspired work, the Hadith or the Quran? Well, of course, it's the Quran. And so you just point them right back to the Quran and say, what about the Quran then? In the Quran, where are prophecies of Muhammad or Muhammad's coming and prophecies that Muhammad made? In the Quran, you need to point them to the Quran. And of course, in the Quran, there are no prophecies of the coming of Muhammad, which we can date before his coming. There aren't any in the Bible. And in the Quran, Muhammad makes no prophecies. And even in the Hadith, even if they want to point to that, there's several false prophecies in the Hadith. But the main thing is the Quran. That is the inspired book of Islam. You need to point them to the Quran. And in there, Muhammad does not make any prophecies, the caliber of biblical prophecy. Now, not only does Muhammad not have a record of prophecies, Muhammad also does not perform any miracles. Remember, the prophets of God are confirmed by acts of God. Prophecy is one of them, but also miracles over nature, supernatural miracles. Muhammad even states in the Quran that the prophets of Allah are confirmed by miracles. Chapter 23, chapter 7 of the Quran teaches that Moses did miracles. Chapter 5 of the Quran even teaches that Jesus did miracles. But Muhammad does not do any supernatural miracles. His only miracle claim really in the Quran is the Quran itself. People in the Quran, often the Jews and the Christians, ask Muhammad, show us a sign that we may know you are the prophet of Allah. For the prophets are confirmed by miracles. And Muhammad refuses to do miracles. The best he can do is point to the Quran and say that is enough. Now, when pressed to defend the miracles of Muhammad in the Quran, here are some that Muslim apologists point to. The first one, of course, is in chapter 17 of the Quran, Muhammad's alleged midnight journey in which he claims to have been transported from Mecca to Jerusalem. He ascended to heaven on the back of a mule, according to chapter 17 of the Quran. Now, there's no reason to take this passage as referring to a literal trip to heaven, as even many Muslim scholars do not take it as such. The noted translator of the Quran, the great Quranic scholar Abdullah Yusuf Ali, once again, the man who translated the Quran into English, in his commentary on this passage states that this passage opens with a mystic vision of the ascension of the Holy Prophet. He is transported from the sacred mosque of Mecca to the farthest mosque of Jerusalem at night and shown some of the signs of God. So Abdullah Yusuf Ali stated that this was some kind of mystic vision. Even according to one of the earliest Islamic traditions, Muhammad's wife Aisha reported that the apostle's body remained where it was, but God removed his spirit by the night. That is recorded in the oldest biography of the life of Muhammad by Ibn Ishaq, the oldest and most authoritative biography. But even more, if this were to be understood as some kind of miracle occurrence, there's no evidence to test its authenticity. It lacks verifiability. It has no apologetic value. The only witness to this event is the donkey. So really, this has no apologetic value here, and most Muslim commentators see this simply as a vision or dream that Muhammad had. Here's another one that's often pointed to, is the splitting open of Muhammad's chest, and supposedly his sin nature was taken out. Once again, Abdullah Yusuf Ali, in his commentary on the Quran, states that this was also symbolic. 
Another miracle that Muslim apologists often point to is the prophecy of victory at the Battle of Badr in chapter 3 and 8 of the Quran, in which Muhammad predicted that his army would be victorious at the Battle of Badr, the first battle against the Meccan armies. However, this once again is a stretch to call this some kind of supernatural miracle. Generals will predict victory over an enemy to inspire their troops. Also, once again, remember, Muhammad did not prophesy his defeats, especially the one which came a year later at the Battle of Uhud. Even Muslim scholar and translator of the Quran, Abdullah Yusuf Ali, in his commentary, states that Muhammad did not do any miracles over nature. Now, Muslim apologists will often point to miracles that appear in the Hadith. But once again, it is the Quran that is the inspired work, not the Hadith. And miracle stories are contrary to the spirit of Muhammad in the Quran. In chapter 3 of the Quran, the people ask Muhammad to do a miracle that he may prove himself a prophet of Allah. And Muhammad refuses. And he points to the Quran and says, that is enough. So, it seems to go against the spirit of the Quran. Now, the Hadith, the vast majority of the stories in the Hadith are often rejected by Muslim scholars as apocryphal. And remember, the Hadith is written 200 years after the life of Muhammad. And what has historical studies shown? A.N. Sherwin-White did one of the most extensive studies. And he shows that about that legends begin to appear two to three generations after the death of the eyewitnesses. And so that's what you see in many of the religions. And here in Islam, you have the Quran in which Muhammad does no miracles and refuses to do any miracles. 200 years later in the writing of the Hadith, suddenly Muhammad is doing miracles. It follows the pattern that historians have shown. About two to three generations later, miracles begin to appear. Now compare that to Jesus, who performs miracles over every realm of creation. We know that these are not legends because... They are written way too early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses who could have verified these accounts as true or false. Remember, when the Gospels and the New Testament is circulating and the apostles are preaching, they're preaching in very hostile territory with people who are very skeptical and enemies of the cross who want every reason to discredit the preaching and teaching of the apostles. If what they were preaching and teaching was false, that could have easily been discredited because it's being preached in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And the Gospels and the New Testament, we have compelling evidence that they are dated in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And several, many of these books are indeed eyewitness accounts. And then passages like 1 Corinthians 15, we can date to within five years of the resurrection of Christ. So these are way too early for legends to develop because there's just too many eyewitnesses that can verify these accounts as true or false. And in fact, even in the Quran, Jesus does miracles. Chapter 5 of the Quran affirms that Jesus did miracles. Chapter 19 affirms the virgin birth of Christ. Chapter 19 affirms the prophetic call of Christ. And chapter 4 speaks of the miraculous ascension to heaven of Jesus Christ. So even in the Quran, Jesus performs greater works than Muhammad. So Muhammad does not have a record of prophecy in the Quran. Muhammad in the Quran does not do any miracles. And finally, another qualification of a prophet or an apostle is that they're consistent with the previous revelation of the word of God given earlier by earlier prophets and apostles. However, 
you look at the teachings of Muhammad in the Quran and he contradicts major teachings of the Bible. For example, Muhammad rejected the Jews and the Christians and called them accursed and condemned them. See, when Muhammad first began preaching in Mecca, he was friendly to the Jews and Christians, hoping to convince them he was a prophet of God in line with their prophets and apostles. Muhammad even challenged the Jews and the Christians to look in their own Bible for confirmation of his teachings according to chapter 10 of the Quran. However, the Jews and the Christians rejected his message and he became very hostile towards them. He received revelation denouncing the Christians and the Jews for rejecting his message in chapter 5 of the Quran. In chapter 3 of the Quran, he calls the Jews and Christians perverted transgressors. Therefore, in chapter 5 of the Quran, he announced that the Jews and the Christians were accursed. And according to the Hadith, one of the most authoritative sources is Bukhari's gathering of the Hadith. And in his final moments, Muhammad lay in the arms of his youngest wife, Aisha. And his final words were, May Allah curse the Jews and Christians, for they built places of worship at the graves of the prophets. So this is the Hadith according to Bukhari, Volume 1, Book 8. Now, Muhammad also rejects the death, deity, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 19 of the Quran, They say, Allah most gracious has begotten a son. Indeed, you have put forth a thing most monstrous, added the skies are ready to burst, and the earth to split asunder, and the mountains to fall down in utter ruin, that they should invoke a son for Allah most gracious. For it is not consonant with the majesty of Allah most gracious that he should beget a son. Chapter 4 of the Quran rejects the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, it's not possible for God to contradict his own word, and rejecting some of these key doctrines and historical facts should disqualify Muhammad and the Quran. According to the Bible, God has promised his covenant with the Jews will one day be fulfilled, that he will not forsake them. In Genesis chapter 12, it's an everlasting covenant. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12 is an everlasting covenant with the Jewish people called the Abrahamic covenant. And God promises them that I will bless those who bless you and that the land of Canaan will one day be the place, the land that the nation of Israel will inherit forever. 2 Samuel 7, God promises that there will be a king that will arise. This is called the Davidic covenant from the line of David who will rule an everlasting kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 31 states that as long as the sun is shining and the moon shines at night and the stars light the sky, as long as these fixed orders remain, so shall the people of Israel remain and he shall not reject his people. And the death, deity, and resurrection of Christ is clearly taught in the Bible. John 1.1 1, 1 states, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So the death, deity, and resurrection of Christ are taught and are central to the ministry of Christ and the message of the Bible, which Muhammad clearly contradicts. So Muhammad does not have a legacy of prophecy, either predicting his coming or prophecies that he makes in the Quran. Muhammad does not do any supernatural miracles in the Quran to confirm his calling as a prophet of God. And Muhammad contradicts 
the teachings of the prophets and the apostles who have preceded him. So for these reasons, I believe the prophetic qualifications of Muhammad should seriously be questioned. I don't think his claim to prophethood is confirmed as the prophets of the Old and apostles of the New Testament were confirmed by supernatural acts of God. Muhammad does not have that. Jesus clearly does, and Muhammad does not. And in many ways, Jesus is superior to Muhammad. Next time, we'll look further as we compare the lives of Jesus and Muhammad here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. I hope you're enjoying this series on Islam. If you missed any part of this show or would like to order the entire series, log on at our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. This show relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching and would like to keep him on the air, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us here next time as we continue our series on Islam, right here on Evidence and Answers.